Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. And here's my hope for every one of you. I want to help you get to heaven. I want to help you get to heaven. There are some of you here and you're kidding yourselves. Oh, I'll be right. How do you know? Have you considered the role of Christians in government? Now, in the Old Testament of the Bible, God sent Daniel to Babylon. A man of God in a hostile political environment was an invaluable and persuasive influence on King Nebuchadnezzar. What happens if we take the ostrich approach? Well, Dr. Corbett explores that question in tonight's message, A City of Ostriches. We might recognise our true condition and that, Lord, that that might help us to understand why you say to us what you say. Give us a heart that is open to receive from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. been watching a, a series called The Crown and it's really interesting and there's a scene in there where Sir Winston Churchill is 80 years of age and both Houses of Parliament uh, commission a painting to be, to be done of him and an artist is, is commissioned to do the, the painting and sits with Sir Winston Churchill for days which turn into weeks as he does sketches and then he does, does the final painting. And then at a meeting of both Houses of Parliament uh, held in a, a, a neutral venue, the painting is unveiled and Winston Churchill is mortified and he's furious at the, at, at the artist. The painting is considered, was considered to be one of the, the classics of, of English art and everyone who saw it said, to the artist, you've captured him. You've captured everything about him. You've captured him. Everyone, of course, except Winston Churchill, who took the painting home and covered it up and summoned the artist. And the artist came, I think his name was Sutherland, and he came and he said, what's the problem? He said, you have disgraced me. And the artist said, in what way have I disgraced you? He said, that is a monstrosity. You have painted a monstrosity. And the artist said, I don't think so. In fact, every step of the way, I showed your wife and she said, you've got him, you've, you've, you've got it precisely. And Winston said, no, I'm, I'm furious, I'm outraged, I find this painting to be a disgrace. To which the artist said, maybe it's because for the first time you're actually seeing yourself through the eyes of someone else and you don't like what you see. He said, I can't help the fact that you're 80 years of age, not 24, that you have wrinkles, that you are hunched, that the years have taken their toll, but that's who you are. To which Winston said something like, get out. <laughs> the next scene is Winston taking the painting out into his backyard and piling sticks up around it pouring petrol on it and burning it. And it was never seen in public beyond that day. I actually was curious as to know what did it look like? Was it that bad? So I googled the painting and I saw it and I thought, that looks like, that looks like Churchill. And the problem was Churchill did not realise how he was seen and the artist captured it. I wonder in life how many of us go through life and we have this painting picture of ourselves that we've created. <laughs> But it's not really who we are. And God's word says in James chapter 1 that when we look into his word, it's like a mirror. And sometimes the reaction that we have in seeing ourselves for the first time in a mirror can be quite shocking. And I pray this morning that as we 
look at God's word, we, we will discover something about our own true condition. This morning I'm going to be doing something I've never done before and that is I'm going to be talking a lot about ostriches. I know many have been wondering when will it be, when, when, when will the day come? Well, it has arrived. And we are going to be talking about ostriches because Jeremiah talks about this and this is part 168 of our Jeremiah series and this is called the city of ostriches and we'll say that in a moment. Jeremiah has been prophesying for years and years and years that the Babylonians would come, they would invade and the false prophets who had the ear of the king had been telling the king, Jeremiah is a false prophet. This will never happen. We are the city of the Lord. We have the temple of the Lord. God would never destroy his temple, his presence on earth. He would never do it. And so Jeremiah has been imprisoned and because he declared this word that he felt was from God that the temple of the Lord would be destroyed by the Babylonians and is vindicated in that what he'd been saying for decades would happen, did happen. And we finish up with that clip showing that he was also giving a promise, a promise of hope. We're going to be looking in chapter 50 from verses 35 down to verse 40. And this message is called A City of Ostriches. And I want to set it up with this verse from Proverbs. It says this, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit, or an arrogant attitude, before a fall. And we see the king of Israel, the king of Judah, displaying an arrogance, a haughtiness, and ironically, the one who is the most arrogant, who's condemned for his arrogance, which is Nebuchadnezzar, is, well, we'll see in a moment, the story ends in a surprising way. And this Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, we note as we look at this passage, have been used by God to bring judgment on Israel, to bring judgment on Judah. And it shows that even though God might use someone, he doesn't always approve of everything they do. And in this instance, we see that Nebuchadnezzar, even though God had used him as an instrument of his judgment, he did not tolerate Nebuchadnezzar's pride and haughtiness, that attitude of arrogance and superiority. And there's another principle, and we find it in Galatians chapter 6, and it, it says, whatever you sow is what you'll reap. And so Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were, would reap the destruction. Well, at least the Babylonians would reap the destruction that they had inflicted on Jerusalem. So we're reading from verse 35. It says this, A sword against the Chaldeans, declares the Lord, and against the inhabitants of Babylon and her officials and her wise men. So I want you to think about this. These are the people that the Lord condemns. We've got the inhabitants, pretty broad. We've got her officials, those government officials, and against the wise men. And, and in countries like Babylon, they would have a group of guys called the wise men. These, these were people that practised occult arts. They could interpret dreams. They could use enchantments to see the future and so on. These were the wise men, of which when Daniel was taken to Babylon... He became one of those, one of the wise men. He was put into that group because somehow 
however it was, they perceived that he was a spiritual man who could do some of those spiritual things. So these are the people that God was going to condemn. And you're Daniel and you're reading this. And we know that Daniel knew the prophecies of Jeremiah. We know that because we read that in Daniel chapter 9, where he says, I was reading the book of the prophet Jeremiah. So he would have been aware of these prophecies. So how keen would he have been to have become, as he did, an official in the Babylonian government and a wise man, knowing that God had condemned them as evil, as wicked? And this is a principle that I hope to convey to many of our young men here today. Because I'm looking, in my lifetime, hopefully we can sow the seed for a generation of young men to grow up and have a spine, a backbone, a little, just a little bit of courage to stand up against the crowd even when there's a price to pay. How many women would like a generation of young men like that? Mm-hmm. So here's the principle that I, that I see in, in this passage, connecting, as I'm going to do, Daniel's story. And I'm going to make certain assumptions that you know the story of Daniel, taken into Babylon, around about the age of 15, castrated almost immediately, made a eunuch, put under the charge of the head eunuch, and became a wise man uh, in that government, became an official in the Babylonian government. And yet what he achieved in Babylon is extraordinary. So here we have, even though th this government is wicked, and even though its officials are corrupt, and at times I'm sure many good people have felt that's what governments are always like, we see this principle, thinking of Daniel, who's aware of this prophecy of Jeremiah, that God may still call his own, his own people, his own servants, into a context like that, into a wicked, corrupt government situation as his witnesses. And Daniel was. And God sent Daniel. It may have looked like, it may have looked like that Daniel was being taken against his will. And maybe it was against his will. But ultimately, we see from the benefit of looking at history, the big picture, we can see that God sent Daniel into a wicked, into a corrupt, into a hostile environment. And Daniel, and there's a I had a friend of mine, Mark Bridgewater, whom some of you know, because uh, he's been here a few times. Daniel, he describes Daniel as a man without, I'm not going to say what he says, um, and yet he had more courage than most men. And, and, and Daniel's a hero, because here he is, a young man taken into Babylon, castrated, has every reason just to not rock the boat, has every reason to forsake God and go, oh, great, now look what you've done. I've been faithful to you all my life. I've worshipped the God of my parents. And here I am in a foreign country, away from my family, away from my friends, away from the familiar. And now they've mutilated me. Thanks a lot. But he doesn't do that. It's not a clenched fist that he raises to God. It's an open palm of worship and surrender. And if you are struggling to have your prayers answered, maybe it's time to unclench your fist and open your palm up to him and surrender. Because I guarantee you, every prayer of surrender you pray, he will answer. Some of you need to grow up spiritually. Put away your grocery shopping list that you call your prayer time and begin to pray prayers of open-palmed surrender. 
Open palm surrender. I don't understand why you've done this in my life. I don't understand why you've allowed this. But God, I come to you now because I love you and trust you. And no, you only ever do good. And Daniel was that man. It goes on and says, a sword against the diviners, that they may become fools. And Daniel was known as a diviner. So he could see, why would he want to get into this? And yet that's where God called him. A sword against her warriors, that they may be destroyed. A sword against her horses, her chariots, and against all the foreign troops in her midst, that they may become women, which was, sorry ladies, to call a warrior a woman was an insult. A sword against all her treasures, that they may be plundered. So here's the question that I hope we can consider now. What, what if we were called like Daniel was called? Here's the question. Could you be faithful and a persuasive witness for God in such a hostile arena? Now, if, if you don't know the story, the persuasive, the persuasive bit is that Daniel stood his ground. Remember, Daniel was the one who his three colleagues, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these were the ones that were thrown into the fiery furnace. And, they, and, and there's that beautiful verse where they, where they said, given the opportunity to recant to, to Nebuchadnezzar and, and apologise to him for not worshipping him and his statue, and, and they said this, we will not bow down. We will not worship you or your statue. And if you throw us into the furnace, we know that our God is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't... <laughs> We will not bow down to you and we will continue to worship him. Oh, come on. That is spined, courageous spirituality. And I hope that we have young men who get it. Young men who won't just go along with the crowd, won't get sucked into the vortex of thinking that God is irrelevant, but will begin to realise more than ever God wants to raise up one or two young men between the ages of 15 and 19 right now to speak to this generation of Tasmanians and Australians. And as I look around, there's not many who are prepared to put their hand up and say, God, use me. But I hope to God at least one comes out of this church in this generation. Could you be a faithful and persuasive witness in such a hostile arena? We see that Daniel's faithfulness, because of Daniel's faithfulness to God in this hostile arena, that the emperor actually did surrender to God. Nebuchadnezzar surrendered to God. You remember that where it says Nebuchadnezzar was looking over, the, looking over his kingdom and it says that he, pride filled his heart and at that moment he was struck and became, became like one who, who was a half animal, half man and developed hair and went out into the fields and ate grass for three years. God humbled him. And it says in the end of chapter 3 that he came back in when he looked to the heavens and acknowledged that God is indeed God. And that's when his sanity returned to him. And so Daniel's witness was indeed persuasive in a very, very hostile arena, a very hostile arena. Could your faithfulness be equally Consistent? Could your witness be faithful and consistent in that environment? 
This is an interesting prophecy that Jeremiah gives against Babylon. It says this, A drought against her waters, that they may be dried up, for it is a land of images, and they are mad over idols. What's interesting is that we see, and we read in Daniel chapter 6, that in one night, the Medo-Persians, a union between an older king by the name of Cyrus and a younger king, um, uh, sorry, an older king Darius and the younger king Cyrus came in and overthrew Babylon in one night. And it's really interesting how they did it. While the Babylonians were feasting and getting drunk for days on end, again, it's just an aspect of their arrogance, Cyrus diverted the Euphrates River. He diverted the Euphrates River. The people of Babylon didn't even realise that thing that flows right through the middle of your city was a dry bed. They didn't realise it. The arrogance. And it says that historians tell us that Cyrus and, and his armies marched on a dry riverbed where the Euphrates was and came into the city, which the Babylonians thought was impenetrable, and overthrew it in one night. And that river was diverted permanently. And just as Jeremiah said, it became a wasteland. And we're coming up to this beautiful verse, if you're an ostrich lover. The judgment on Babylon, though, was postponed because I said that it happened not during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. It happened when his grandson, Belshazzar, was the emperor, his grandson. And so during Nebuchadnezzar's reign, even though this prophecy was given that it would happen in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, that this would be the judgment on Babylon, although it doesn't specifically say that, but it was assumed that that's when it would happen. Because Nebuchadnezzar repented, because Nebuchadnezzar turned to the Lord, judgment was postponed. Oh, I've got some great news for you. No matter where you're at spiritually, no matter where you're at, and I remind you that the king of Judah, the king of Israel, the one who had the temple, the priesthood, the Bible, the one who had all that, is the bad guy in this story. Because even though he had all that, he had every reason to love and trust and serve God, and he didn't. And the Bible says if you have those things, it says in James chapter 3, that you come under harsher judgment. So for those of us who say, I'm a Christian, and we go out and we don't live like one, there will come a day of judgment. I remember when I was a teenager, about the age of 16, and I read Matthew 12, 36, I, I, I trembled. It said, Jesus, Jesus said, there's coming a day when my Father will judge you for every idle word you've ever spoken. Every word you've spoken. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm in big trouble. I've said a few things. I've said a few things I'm not proud of. And that's when I think the Holy Spirit began to work in me. This is not a game. Life is not something you just play around with. This is important. Eternity is one heartbeat away from every one of us in this room. Every one of us. And Nebuchadnezzar repented. The one, the guy, the, the guy who had no Bible. He had no temple, he had no prophets. And then Jeremiah, so Daniel comes along, inspired by Jeremiah, but Daniel comes along, this kid comes along 
and says, no, you're wrong. There is one God who made heaven and earth and you must submit to him. And years of faithful witness, Nebuchadnezzar did. And now, presumably, he's in heaven. And here's my hope for every one of you. I want to help you get to heaven. I want to help you get to heaven. There are some of you here and you're kidding yourselves. Oh, I'll be right. How do you know? <laughs> Unless you're trusting Jesus Christ. And when you do, it changes you from the inside out. And you can be religious, as I wrote in this week's e-news. You can be religious and have all the right behaviour and look religious and go to church and do the things that looks like a Christian. But the ins- on in the inside, you can be rotten to the core. I love navel oranges. Navel oranges are God's gift to mankind. They are beautiful. Middle of winter, navel oranges. Anyone with me? They are awesome. And in Queensland, where we were two weeks ago, I saw navel oranges. I thought, cool, they run out in Tasmania. They're long gone. The season's well over. I don't know how Queensland's done it, but I'm going to grab some. I grabbed them. I cut one open, and on the inside, it was brown, and it was yuck. I thought, maybe it just looks bad. Just hoping. And this orange, I, t- I, d- I tasted it, and it was, oh, it was bitter. It was horrible because the inside even though the outside, I don't know what they did, chemicals or something, the, the outside orange was beautiful, bright orange, but the inside was rotten to the core. And Jesus said there are some people, he described the, the, he described the scribes and Pharisees as being like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you're a beautiful white wall, a beautiful, it's magnificent, beautiful, look at the paint job, that's awesome. But on the inside, Jesus said, you're full of dead man's bones. So it's possible for you to fool me. I'm easily fooled. But there is someone you can't fool. And in this story, you would think, here's the king of Israel. Prophets, priests, kings, temple, sacrifices, ceremonies. He's the one. He's God's man. And there's Nebuchadnezzar. Idols, immorality, death, murder, destruction. He's the, if anyone's going to hell, there'd be a special compartment in hell for this bloke. But God saves him. God saves him. We go on and we read Jeremiah's prophecy about Babylon, which we see described in Daniel chapter 6, where it says, Therefore, wild beasts shall dwell with hyenas in Babylon and ostriches shall dwell in her. It shall become a place of ostriches. Now, I'm intrigued by ostriches. I grew up in love with an ostrich. Its name was Ozzy. I used to watch it. Four o'clock every day when I came home from high school with Daryl Summers, Ozzy Ostrich. To my amazement, they're not actually pink and they can't actually talk human. But ostriches are used in scripture to describe someone as an uncaring, arrogant, completely devoid of any courage, abandoning, self-centred creature. Why, you may ask? Well, thank you for asking. Here's the reason. Like our plovers, they lay their eggs in the open. They don't bother building nests. They just lay them on the ground. Unlike our plover eggs, which are small, these things are are quite sizable. And because they're, they're just laid on the ground, whenever danger comes, an ostrich does two things. Number one, runs away. And number two, who knows what number two is? 
sticks its head in the ground. <laughs> That's an ostrich. Wants to deny reality. If I can, because apparently, so I'm told. Now I don't know how animal psychologists know this for sure, but apparently they tell me that if the ostrich can't see you, it thinks you can't see it. I don't know if that's true. I don't know how they verify that. Here we have the, this picture that this city will be a city of creatures that are arrogant because they think I can lay my eggs here. I don't need to build a nest. I don't need to protect them. Arrogance. And a city that did not have the courage to face reality and do what Nebuchadnezzar did and turn to God. And the whole city will become a place of ostriches. After the Euphrates River was diverted by a massive channel, it was never again, and to this day has never again been inhabited. Just as Jeremiah prophesied, she shall never again have people, it says, nor be inhabited for all generations. So here's what I see from this passage. Here's this extraordinary judgment against Babylon that Jeremiah is giving. Daniel would have known about it. God calls Daniel into this situation, which is described as wicked and evil and unholy. And Daniel says, I'll step into it. And he does. I wonder how many of us God will call into a hostile arena to be his witness. Did you know that according to some research, recent research, 60% of Australians say they do not know a Christian? Hmm. If we had to have any chance of sharing the gospel with people, they've at least got to know what a Christian looks like. At least. Consider that. Don't be afraid of the hostile arena. But here's what I also see. This prophecy was given against Nebuchadnezzar and against the Babylonians. And Nebuchadnezzar repented and he turned to God. And here's what I see in this. That even though you may feel there's no hope, and that you've sinned, and I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar would have felt this way, you've sinned too much for God to forgive you. We need to remember he forgave Nebuchadnezzar. So no matter how far away you feel, God is prepared to forgive you. He is. How do we know that? We know that to be true because he declares it. Don't be like an ostrich. And stick your head in the ground. Don't do that. Don't hope it's not true. But listen to the word of the Lord. This is what he says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is not some theology. This is not just some theory. This is not just some, well, that's nice. I remember I memorized that in Sunday school. This is stuff that could literally... Make the difference between whether you lead this life and go to heaven or you don't. That's how serious this is. You might meet someone this week who is so lost, so confused, and they need to know that there's hope. And you could be Daniel to them. You could be the one who shines your light to them. And I think we need to know this. Jeremiah was prophesying that this judgment would come on Babylon. And later, Jesus would prophesy that judgment was coming not just on Babylon or Jerusalem, but on all humanity. Ultimately, God will judge us all. We will all stand before him. And he will ask you the question, why should I let you into heaven? And if your answer is, because my mum and dad were Christians, God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. 
If your answer is, well, I wasn't that bad, that bad compared to who? Because the standard is Jesus. And if he's the standard, none of us measure up. So what will you say? What will you say? And I, I as a pastor, have been at the, and I've mentioned this before, I've been at the deathbeds of people who have gone to church for most of their life and they get into those final moments of their life. And I know, Lynn, you described the, the passing of your father as a time of singing, I think you said. That was singing, isn't that beautiful? And yet I've been at the, the deathbeds of people who have not settled this with God. And terror has overtaken them. Tremendous fear has overtaken them. Have I done enough? Have I, have I confessed enough? Have I, have I, 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 I? And this is what you need to know. It's not about you. There's nothing you can do. You need to know this, that what Jeremiah has already said is that God was going to send a saviour who would bear your guilt, your shame, your sin, your wickedness. He would take the penalty of that and he would die as your substitute on a cross. And if you can get that, it can transform your life. And we've heard that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's for you right now. More from Dr. Corbett next week in How Babylon Has Fallen. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, A City of Ostriches, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.